This is K.M. Wyland, and you are listening to the 409th episode of the Helping Writers Become Authors podcast. I've always said I don't like word count goals, and I really don't. They put the emphasis on the word count rather than the word quality. Plus, they have the potential to add a kind of frenetic urgency to your writing time, which can be stressful and rob some of the fun. My optimum way to write is when I'm in a flow where I'm getting good daily word counts, which for me is usually around 1,200 words, but I'm not pushing for it. But I go through cycles where I need word count goals. For whatever reason, distraction seeps in, and I just start lollygagging and procrastinating through writing sessions and getting nowhere. And that's no fun either. When that happens, like it has lately, while I've been distracted and pressured by finishing up some of my remodeling projects before the cold weather hits for good, I return to my standby system, which is typing like a madwoman, aiming for 300 words every 15 minutes. This lets me have a breather every 15 minutes when I check my progress, but also keeps me rolling along in the story. No obsessing over perfect word choice, no editing as I go. It's intense, but the results are very worth it. And now I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast, five not-so-little additions to the great novel writing checklist. Learning how to write a successful novel is largely a matter of memorizing and mentally tracking the vast number of parts that make a story run. Honestly, this alone is sometimes the hardest part of the entire job. There's a lot to remember Which is why, today, we're going to look at the second part of our great novel writing checklist. Two weeks ago, I started off the checklist with the five most important big or foundational elements you need to make sure you're including and acing in your writing. They were structure, character arcs, theme, setting, and point of view. Without these beauties, you either, worst case, don't have a story at all, or best case, don't have a story that works. However, as we all know, there's more to a great book than just solid structure and a deep theme. There's also a host of not-so-little, little things we have to keep track of. And really, this is where it's easy to start going crazy. Structure may be big and complex, but it's one thing. At least it's easy to remember. But then you have to start juggling a bazillion odds and ends. Everything from proper grammar and punctuation to action beats and dialogue tags to scene transitions and chapter hooks. As I mentioned in the previous episode, there's really no such thing as a complete novel writing checklist for the simple reason that such a list is all but infinite. Certainly, you could read the entirety of my website, all my books, and all the other writing craft books ever written, and you'd probably still miss a few necessaries for your list. But by breaking all the important integers of writing down into categories, you can simplify everything and increase your odds of remembering as many of the important little bits as possible. I've come up with five major categories for the little things that need to be on your novel writing checklist. Unlike the previous five things on our big list, these items are primarily cosmetic. However, they are no less crucial. The elements of story theory create the story itself, but they then require narrative skills to bring that story to life in a way that connects powerfully with readers. This actually requires two very distinct skill sets on the part of the author, as I talked about in the episode, Are You a Writer or a Storyteller? If you learn to master both, 
you're on your way to becoming a master author. So let's get started. Storytelling essential number one, showing and telling. In ye olden days, Thomas Hardy could open Return of the Native with a full chapter of poetic setting descriptions. But as novel writing has evolved as an art form over the centuries, it has become less and less about elegiac exposition or telling and more and more about skillful dramatization or showing. If you think about it, mastering show versus tell is pretty much just code for mastering great narrative. This is the essence of good storytelling in prose form. It's the art of crafting sentences that allow readers to fully inhabit the story. Instead of merely observing that a character watched something happen, readers get to watch that thing happen for themselves. But showing is also endlessly tricky, and it's easy even for experienced authors to get confused and fall back on the crutch of simply telling readers what's what. As you examine every paragraph of your novel for the proper balance of showing, use the following checkpoints to help you nail this crucial device. Avoid telling verbs. Telling verbs create a needless barrier between your readers and a vivid experience of the story. Instead of writing that your character saw a car accident, engage your reader's senses by describing the skid marks on the road, the stench of gasoline, and the shriek of sirens. Search your manuscript for the following telling verbs and see if you can show readers instead. Eliminate asked, began, feel, hear, look, see, smell, sounded, taste, think, touch, and wonder, as in, I wonder if. Dramatize, don't summarize. Sometimes the terms show and tell seem vague and confusing. Instead, think of showing as dramatizing a scene and telling as summarizing. It's the difference between I experienced a car accident and the semi slammed into my Volvo out of nowhere. Balance showing and telling. Showing is preferable. It should provide the meat of your story. But that doesn't mean a balanced meal doesn't also need veggies. Telling sometimes gets a bad rap, but only because so many authors overreact in their struggle with learning how to show and think they have to avoid telling altogether. Nothing could be farther from the truth. Telling is a tremendously important storytelling technique. You need it as much as you need showing, just in lesser proportions. You can successfully use telling to summarize the following. Tedious or extraneous events, reiterations of information readers already know, scene transitions, passage of time, and change of settings. Focus on showing the one right detail. Be careful not to get so carried away with showing that you dramatize everything rather than seeking out the one right detail that will bring the scene to life for readers and let their imaginations fill in the rest of the blanks. This can be especially tempting when trying to evoke body language or facial expressions. You want readers to see what you see, so you describe every twitch. Not only does this rarely convey what you're hoping, it also unnecessarily clutters your story. Number two. Description. 
what's the difference between showing and description? Admittedly, it's a bit arbitrary since they work hand in glove, but here's how I look at it. Showing is about conveying action. Description is about conveying static detail. In short, if it's not moving, you're describing it. Like showing, good description is all about choosing the right details to fire readers' imaginations and bring the scene to life in their minds. To do that, you'll want to keep the following in mind. Opt for less description rather than more. Few of us can go all Thomas Hardy and survive as modern authors. Description is a condiment, not the main dish. As such, sprinkle it on with loving care. Few well-chosen descriptors can pull ten times the weight of an info-dumping paragraph. This doesn't mean you can't include an entire paragraph or paragraphs of description, but it does mean you should always evaluate lengthy descriptions to determine whether they're truly pulling their weight or if they can be effectively slimmed down. This also goes for descriptions on the sentence level. You may think you're doing all right since you've only got two descriptors in that sentence, but do you really need two? Are they enhancing one another? Or is the one detracting from the true power of the other? Seek images rather than abstractions. Description should be concrete and specific. Avoid abstractions that generalize about the object. Instead of the couch, say the seaweed green mid-century daybed. This can require more words, but it's almost always worth it for the ability to grant readers a vividly visual scene. Organize your distribution of details, far to near, large to small. Arguably, the most difficult part of description is distributing details so they all make sense to readers. The best way to approach this is to start big. Set the scene at large, describe the general purpose and vibe of a room, Um, that is a vast living room, before zooming in on specific details, such as that couch. And how do you know which specific details are pertinent? Think of your description as a movie camera, zooming in on the scene's central action. Start large to set the scene, and then draw in close to the elements characters will be interacting with. For example, a stainless steel coffee set on the coffee table. Choose vivid, unique, or ironic descriptors. The key to writing lean but evocative descriptions is all about choosing the right words. You want words that leap out at readers and grab them by the throat. Often this means looking beyond the obvious to find words that make readers think. You're looking for vivid words, unique words when appropriate, and even ironic words, words or details that at first glance seemed dichotomous to the rest of the setting, as explained by Richard Price when he said, the bigger the issue, the smaller you write. Remember that you don't write about the horrors of war. No, you write about a kid's burnt socks lying on the road. You pick the smallest manageable part of the big thing, and you work off the resonance. Number three, dialogue. The prosaic bones of a story are made up of two aspects, dialogue and not dialogue. Dialogue is an art form unto itself, since it breaks many standard narrative rules, while also using its own set of rules to evoke real speech. To do that, you must avoid info dumps, 
Good dialogue is lean, mean, and usually avoids using over three or four sentences at a time. It's no place for info dumps. Can you disseminate information through your dialogue? Absolutely. In fact, dialogue is one of the single best tools for sharing information in a way that is both entertaining and showing. But this requires a careful setup of opposing character goals and back and forth conversation so one character isn't simply, as you know, bobbing the other. Avoid fillers. It's true, realistic dialogue is full of fillers such as the following, like, you know, um, uh, well, look, er, ah, huh, what? I didn't hear you. I don't understand. Could you repeat that? But in fiction, these words and phrases should be used sparingly and only to characterize. Use dialogue to advance the plot. Conversations between characters are so much fun to write that it can be easy for writers to get carried away. But remember, dialogue, like all of fiction, is a technique designed to advance the story. This means all your characters' conversations must have a plot pertinent point, even if it's subtle. Check your dialogue scenes to make sure every line either advances the plot, informs the character, or applies to the theme. Avoid on-the-nose dialogue. At the same time that you're ensuring all your dialogue is about the plot, you also get the extra tricky and awesome task of making sure it doesn't seem like that's the only reason it's in the book. The best dialogue is never on-the-nose. Rather than spelling out characters' intentions in every line of dialogue, look for ways to make the subtext, that is what they're not saying, as important as the context. Skillfully apply dialogue tags and action beats. Technically, dialogue tags, which is she said, and action beats, which would be he looked at her before speaking, aren't dialogue. But they're crucial for punctuating the dialogue and providing necessary physical and emotional context. The two rarely need to be used in the same paragraph together and only need to be used ever in order to accomplish one of the following. To clarify the speaker provide physical context, for example, someone moves, or to provide emotional context, for example, tone of voice. Number four, foreshadowing. Foreshadowing is often an afterthought in storytelling discussions, but it shouldn't be. Foreshadowing is the frame for the entirety of your story. It will be present on almost every page as either setup or payoff. Foreshadowing is what pulls your story together and makes it seem like a resonant and meaningful whole. Foreshadowing ensures the story's ending is, in fact, present in the beginning. Foreshadowing can be conveyed in any number of ways, including the most seemingly casual use of description or dialogue. Number five, voice. The final important element to check off your novel writing checklist is voice. Voice will be inherent in every one of the above elements. On a dry technical level, voice is simply the cumulative effect of word choice. But really, it is so much more than that. It is the it factor James Scott Bell often talks about. It is what raises your story above mere words on the page to an unforgettable experience. Many writers will tell you voice is something you can't learn. But what's closer to the truth is that voice is something you create by learning to be good at every other part of writing. 
as you're using all of the previously mentioned techniques to craft your narrative, you should also be constantly seeking to inject a vibrant and specific energy into your writing. This will guide your word choices as well as your plot choices and help you deliberately craft an unforgettable voice. This little novel writing checklist is only enough to get you started. Each of the 10 elements of good writing listed in both this episode and the previous one will lead you to hundreds of smaller ideas and techniques. But if you can nail the basics mentioned here, you're well on your way to writing an excellent novel. Even better, you've started yourself down the road toward memorizing and internalizing this checklist into your personal writing mindset. Thank you for listening to the Wordplay Podcast. To read a transcript of this episode, you can visit my website at helpingwritersbecomeauthors.com. And be sure to check back again next week.